I'm Tony Remus, and this is Tony Talks Back. Alright, so, strange title if you don't know what it refers to. It's a good thing you're not being murdered at this very moment. It means you can listen to me. But that's kind of strange, isn't it? The fact that you're listening to me implies you have access to some sort of advanced electronic device and decent internet connection. And sadly enough, that fact puts you in a better position than at least a billion people. Probably closer to three billion. Considering all available options, if someone has something that you want, and they don't want to give it to you, one of the easiest ways to get it is to murder them and take their stuff. So why are you not dead? Now, I can feel you recoiling a bit, but let's consider this. The first point one can make is that our data is skewed. Perhaps it's a sort of survivorship bias. The fact that we have electronic devices and internet at all necessarily implies that we aren't living in the kind of world that tears itself apart for immediate resource advantage. And fair enough, but imagine me now gesturing vaguely to the natural world, right? Lions chasing away hyenas from a fresh kill. Ant colonies committing ant genocide against each other for territory dominance. And if a mama bear and her cub find your campsite food stash, make no mistake, it is now their campsite food stash. Even interspecies, we have documented chimpanzee tribes that will fight and kill each other almost without hesitation. One such war took place in the Gombe National Park in Tanzania and lasted four years. You can thank the legendary Jane Goodall and her research team for that tidbit of primate knowledge. Humanity is truly the odd one out in that we don't do that, or at least we have the option not to do that even when violence would be advantageous to us. And now I shall bring in a name which simply cannot be avoided when discussing political philosophy at length, Thomas Hobbes. You've heard his name before, though you might not have realized who it referred to. If you've ever seen one of the greatest comics of all time, Calvin and Hobbes, this early modern English philosopher wrote a book with a terrifying name, Leviathan and through his political philosophizing came to a conclusion many find wrong and unacceptable today. That we should agree to submit to the power of an absolute ruler, because the alternative is even worse. Thomas Hobbes lived in the same period of time as Descartes, who I've talked about before and probably qualifies as one of my favorite French philosophers. Hobbes and Descartes had some correspondence and reportedly even met at one point, they apparently did not get along very well, and you can see why from the introduction to Leviathan. Hobbes compares man to a complex machine, with every part able to be explained with mechanistic calculation. If you know anything about Descartes, you know that he was a dualist of mind and body. Descartes argued that the mind and body are separated and function differently and independently, and Hobbes said no basically. But we can save philosophy of mind for another time. Let's dive into Leviathan's politics and see if we can't figure out why Hobbes would want an absolute ruler. To really understand Hobbes, you have to understand that Hobbes believed the rule of the jungle was a terrible thing. Horrible time for humanity. And although Hobbes did not, strictly speaking, live in the jungle, 
He did experience a good amount of civil unrest and even civil war in his life. This is the state of nature for Hobbes, a condition of war, everyone against everyone, allegiances and allies untrustworthy and impermanent. To quote Hobbes, and the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And this guy witnessed it. He witnessed civil war tear his country literally apart. Leviathan tries to demonstrate through its opening arguments that the chaotic state of nature will necessarily come from the refusal of citizens to submit to authority. This is partly why Hobbes discusses man being like a machine. He wants to prove his political points come from easily observable facts of nature. The first chapters of Leviathan lay out an account of passion, language, emotions, and the like. The fact that humanity has all the components of other creatures in the natural world implies that we at least have a tendency to behave in a similar manner to those creatures. There is one respect in which humans can be differentiated, and I can't think of anyone that would disagree on this point. We as Homo sapiens have access to reason and rationality. Hobbes was a believer in the equality of human reason. Human wisdom and wit, he calls it. The most muscularly strong, or the most learned of scholars, are equal to the beggar in that everyone has access to human rationality. In this way, it doesn't matter how strong or powerful you are. Any other human, either on their own or through a coalition, can find a way to bring you to your knees. If humans did so desire, they could band together and destroy and pillage to their heart's content. The mob rebels against the system, the system which, for their entire lifetime before, they had been protected by. Or maybe they weren't protected. Maybe the system failed them, and that's why they are mobbing. More on that later though. Let's focus on the purely unjust mob. We know that democracy has its downfalls. Democracy killed Socrates. Mob rule occurs when the tyranny of the majority tramples on the rights of the minority. If you have done nothing wrong, there yet is little way for the common man to defend against a mob. So it was in 1650, so it still is today. And this is a problem, because without an appeal to a higher power, there is no discernible reason for man to sit idly by and refuse to take that which they can for themselves. Moreover, our own human nature requires that we conserve ourselves and the people we care about. So we have very good reason to engage in, say, civil war and strike first to defend these things or expand our territory. Sure, while we have relative peace, it's pretty alright, but the threat of war remains, and on a long enough timeline surely will come again. And once the mob begins, it will tear everything you care about apart. And then it is the state of nature all over again, like a Sisyphean societal struggle. The idea being that violence begets violence. Because of our innate sense of self-preservation, we simply cannot allow a violent mob 
to surround ourselves. Hobbes writes, Because a man cannot tell, when he seeth men proceed against him by violence, whether they intend his death or not. And importantly, Hobbes believed such actions, on either side, were neither right nor wrong. In the state of nature, such things simply are. They proceed naturally from the conditions given. It's very important to understand this. Hobbes is not arguing against mob justice. Hobbes is arguing against the kind of system that allows for mob justice. Become a patron of Tony Talks Back and get exclusive access to bonus content and a private RSS feed where you can download episodes and listen on your favorite podcast platform ad-free. Go to patreon.com slash tonytalksback or click on the link down below. The state of nature isn't good, right? It's just a bad time all around, being at war or in tensions of war, because no one can tell anyone otherwise. Men can be said to have a right to preserve their own life, insofar as anything like a right exists at all. From this point, Hobbes argues that actually, in a state of nature, every man has a right to everything. Because of the threat of backstabbing or uprising, it is best to strike first for everyone. And that's terrible, but it kind of makes sense. Anyone that participates in mob justice has reverted to the state of nature. They have broken the societal contract. There is therefore no action committed by or against them, which can be considered unlawful or unjust and thereby they commit their lives to being nasty, brutish, and short, in a perpetual state of war against their fellow man. But if mobs naturally exist and arise due to the state of nature, and can revert society back to such a state at any time, what hope is there for humanity? Hobbes' answer? There isn't any hope. Unless, and this is key, there should exist some power above all that can, through reward or fear, coerce men to enter into contract with it. This power is absolute. It can do all things to ensure justice is dealt to those who break the contract. Hobbes was a rational Christian man, and he wasn't so harsh as to believe justice should be absolute black and white. Hobbes believed we ought to pardon those that regretted their breach of contract, and let them back into it. Granting of peace, he called it, for the benefit of society. Because justice is correction of injustice, it must not commit injustice in its correction, nor waver into the territory of vengeance. Violence begets violence, revenge begets revenge. The buck has to stop somewhere, and for Hobbes, it stops at the absolute power of the state to administer justice. And what about this contract? Humans must agree or contract with each other in order to give up their rights to everything and instead agree to respect the rights of others, insofar as others agree to respect their rights as well. This is the beginnings of the social contract a theory which would be extremely influential down the line. But we're not there yet. The social contract of Hobbes is an agreement to lay down arms. Pretty simple, 
But it's not a two-party contract. Not exactly. That is, people don't contract with each other directly. There would be no point, as you can't trust someone else to follow a rule that may threaten their existence in a state of nature. Instead, individuals contract with the supreme power. Doesn't have to be a monarch. Hobbes lays out what a commonwealth would look like according to his argument. But it does have to have absolute power over its constituents. Last episode, we discussed Plato's philosopher king. One person is given total control over society, but they rule with wisdom in order to create the perfectly just society. It's an interesting thought, but perfection is impossible in reality. Hobbes recognized that governmental power is impermanent. He lived through the English Civil War, after all, in which the usurping power won and killed and drove the former crown into exile in France. I'm sure you've been thinking, okay, the need for a strong government has been made pretty clear, but how can we ensure that that government is just? How do we stop tyranny if it were to arise in a ruler with absolute power, or transfer power from an unjust ruler to a just one? Admittedly, this is a weak point in Hobbes' philosophy. Hobbes recognized that powers fail, for example, with civil war. In the conclusion to Leviathan, Hobbes gives a bit of a slippery answer. If an absolute power should become not absolute, and no longer able to maintain the rights of its citizens, then you are already in the state of nature, and thus have no contractual obligations with that power. And if an even more powerful entity comes along, one cannot be considered immoral if they were to join that entity to preserve their own life and or escape the state of nature. But the objection to Hobbes runs deeper than even a transfer of power from the unworthy to the worthy. The one fundamental question, perhaps the most important of all, is this. If an absolute power breaks its contract with you, its contract to defend your rights so long as you don't infringe on the rights of another, if the absolute power does not protect you, or even works against you, but there be no power in existence strong enough to mount a rebellion against the ruling power, how is the idea of an absolute power compatible in a reality where total totalitarian control can happen? Hobbes came from a time where messages were sent by carrier pigeon and flintlock muskets were all the rage. I don't think he or any of his contemporaries could have imagined the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps. Somewhere around 6 million people died in those camps to an unjust power. But there was little they could do against the absolute rule of Nazi Germany and its industrial might. We cannot forget also how narrow the victory of the Allies over the Axis powers of World War II was. Hindsight 2020, right? Looking back on it, we can say it was a sure thing that D-Day, the invasion of Normandy, would mark the turning point of the war, or the Battle of the Bulge, etc. But if Hitler hadn't invaded Russia, who knows what would have happened? If Nazi Germany and co. were granted absolute dominion over the Earth, we would potentially be stuck under an absolute rule, which is absolutely unjust and arguably evil, 
for who even knows how long. And it's this objection that has really stuck. Hobbes was, like all of us, a product of his time. Later thinkers and philosophers would build on the groundwork Hobbes laid, and build in such a way so as to avoid the conclusion that absolute rule is a necessity. But that is a story for another time. This has been Tony Talks Back. I hope you enjoyed this tale of Hobbes and the Leviathan. Catch you next time. If you enjoyed the show, like, subscribe, review, wherever you're listening. Share it with your friends and become a patron on Patreon or consider a one-time donation on PayPal. Take it easy.